Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, Paul Tillich, the theologian, said that faith is the most misunderstood word in the Christian vocabulary. He might be right about that, and if it's true, it's a tragedy. Because faith stands at the very heart of the project. Thomas Aquinas said, without faith, you can't be pleasing to God. See, because faith is like the door that opens to the whole of religious experience. Without faith, our prayer makes no sense. Without faith, why bother with the liturgy? Without faith, why listen to a sermon like this? Without faith, why practice the sacraments? Faith is what we have to enter through in order to make sense of the religious life at all. So what is faith? Why should we be faithful? I'm thinking about this because of our second reading for this Sunday, taken from the magnificent 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. I'd recommend again you read the letter to the Hebrews, but especially this beautiful 12th chapter. Listen. Faith is confident assurance concerning what we hope for and conviction about things we do not see. What we hope for, what we do not see, faith does have to do with that alluring darkness that stands outside our ability to know and see and control. If you know something, it's not a matter of faith. If you can control it, understand it perfectly, put it in categories, it's not a matter of faith. It is about something dark, alluring, outside of our control. But listen now to the first part of the description. It is confident assurance in regard to what we hope for. It is conviction about things we don't see. There's the paradox. Though it has to do with the darkness, faith is not hand-wringing and pusillanimous and unsure. No, faith is strong, confident, assured. The letter of the Hebrews mentions several heroes of faith from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. Think of figures like St. Paul, Thomas Aquinas, John Paul II, these are not vacillating, weak-minded people. Strong, assured, confident. This is the paradox that many modern philosophers and scientists couldn't accept. See, for them, confidence, assurance, comes not from faith, but from reason. You know, if you can prove something, you can see it, you can demonstrate it, you can experiment with it, well, then you can be sure, confident. 
But in regard to things we can't see, that we can't know, we can't prove, modern philosophers said, well, we shouldn't be all that confident. We should be reticent. John Locke, the great English philosopher, said this, the quality of your assent should be proportionate to the quality and quantity of the evidence you can muster. See what he's saying? If you can muster good, strong evidence, well then your assent should be clear, sure, confident. If you can muster just midland support and evidence, well then your assent should be moderate. If you can find almost no clear evidence for something, your assent should be very, very guarded. Locke, in fact, said, if your assent goes beyond the quantity and quality of the evidence, you're not only foolish, you are morally irresponsible. Ah, Christians, and now we're getting into dangerous territory. Because a lot of modern philosophers followed John Locke, and they implied something. That we believers, we people of faith, are foolish and finally irresponsible. Because we are confident and assured about things for which there's no evidence. We are confident about all kinds of things we don't see, that we glimpse only dimly. Well, that's irresponsible. That's why Immanuel Kant, another great modern philosopher, said, it's time for us to come out of our intellectual kindergarten and grow up. Accept things that you can prove and see and give up this fantasy of faith. Hmm. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Are we therefore just at an impasse? Do you have faith over here and reason over there? No. One of my great heroes is John Henry Newman. John Henry Newman, the English Catholic theologian, all his life worried about this problem, worried about the relationship between faith and reason. At the end of his life, he wrote a great book called The Grammar of Ascent. And in that book, he gave full expression to his solution of this challenge. Mind you, when Newman was writing, middle of the 19th century, oh, the church was under withering attack from rationalist scientists and philosophers who were making Locke's argument. You people are childish and irresponsible. So how did Newman answer them? He did so brilliantly in The Grammar of Ascent. Let me just summarize one of his arguments. He says, how do you know that England is an island? And you say, well, that's hardly a question. Everyone knows England's an island. Well, okay, good, but tell me, how do you know? Well, I've seen it in every map. They portray England as an island. Every book I've read assumes it. Every geographical description presents it. Every person I've ever asked about it seems to say, yes, England's an island. When I've left the shore of England, it, it appears to be an island from my limited vantage point. I guess that's why I think England's an island. Newman says, good, good. But are any of those evidences convincing in itself? If you really press it, really ask skeptical questions about it, are any of those evidences convincing in themselves? Well, uh, I guess not. I suppose all the books could be mistaken. I suppose all those maps could have been poorly drawn. I suppose all the people I talked to, they could be mistaken. Maybe my limited vantage point is not enough to prove to me that England's an island. 
Maybe it, way up north it joins a, a great body of land. I, I, I guess I don't know for sure based on those evidences. Good, says Newman. Admit the fact that even in regard to that simple claim that England is an island, you're going on reason, sure, and faith, and faith. You're going on reason, evidence, yes, but there's also involved trust, something like faith in the testimony of others, faith that what you're seeing is worthy of belief. One of Newman's great disciples in the 20th century is the Canadian Jesuit Bernard Lonergan. Lonergan was a great student of contemporary mathematics and science. Here's what he said. He said, every scientific project from Aristotle's to Galileo's to Newton's to Einstein's relies heavily on faith. Well, <laughs> why? That seems odd. No scientific project would get off the ground unless the scientist accepted without personal verification a whole bevy of observations, evidences, assumptions that he himself had not personally verified. Just think of something as simple as the mathematical tables, the, the uh, multiplication tables. Well, you don't personally verify them, you accept them. You learn them by rote, you accept them. Think of the whole range of scientific data that is simply bequeathed to us by the tradition that we accept on faith without verification. Our own projects, however rational they are, must rest on this foundation of faith, for want of a better term. And there's more. Every great scientific enterprise, says Lonergan, again, from Aristotle to Einstein, relies on an alluring ideal, which is not known by the scientist, but guessed at, hoped for, envisioned from a distance. In Einstein's case, it was the unified field theory Einstein dreamed of this insight that would link all the physical sciences. He didn't know it, he wasn't sure of it, but it appeared to him as an alluring, beautiful possibility. And this faith, something he saw only darkly, indistinctly, this faith animated and drew on the whole of his science. My point here is Newman's point. The line between faith and reason is not nearly as sharp as the avatars of the Enlightenment would have it. You got reason over here, you have a big black line, and then you have faith over here. Doesn't work that way. In fact, in regard to the simplest act of knowing, in regard to the most exalted expression of the sciences, there is a mixing of faith and reason. Newman's conclusion is, we religious people know in a very analogous way. We know the same way scientists do. That's to say, through a blend of faith and reason. Example, are there reasons for believing in God? Sure, 
we can muster arguments such as Thomas Aquinas's, arguments that prove that there's a first unmoved mover, a first uncaused cause, that there must be a governor of the universe. We can launch and mount rational arguments. Is there evidence from our own conscience? Well, yes, this voice of conscience, this objective ground of morality. Is there evidence from the testimony of others? Sure, the whole long tradition of biblical witnesses and great saints. Is there evidence from our own experience? Sure. We take in evidence the same way a scientist would. Are any of those utterly convincing in itself? No, you probably can find holes in all those arguments. As you can in any scientist's argument. What draws them together for Newman, what moves the mind to assent, is something like faith that brings together the intuitions of reason. His point is, whether you're a scientist, philosopher, or believer, your mind tends to work in the same way. Listen again now to Hebrews. Faith is confident assurance concerning what we hope for, conviction about things we do not see. Our faith, will, our religious life will always be to some degree a glance into the darkness, it will. Yet, it can be just as the scientist's conviction, it can be something of great confidence and assurance. Christians, don't fall in the trap of driving a wedge between faith and reason, but allow yourself to be a reasonable person of faith, a faithful person of reason. Then I think you find that stance which is pleasing to God. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.